in the book of Luke. The meticulous physician Luke, who write both his self-titled gospel and the history of the book of the apostles, the Acts. And I read from just verse 22, though there are many more verses to draft from. And it came to pass, verse 22, that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died also. And he was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Amen. You may be seated. It's a precarious position. to deliver the word of God in whatever circumstance or setting because the messenger always knows his or her own limitations. And anyone who might carry the message might also with some degree of honesty declare that whatever is spoken is much greater than the one who carries it. Such is the case. For some season in my small and probably minor ministry, I gave up trying to think who the word is for. (laughs) I've been wrong so many times. I used to think, I know who this was for. Alas, it was not. And so instead of wondering, contemplating who might be ministered to, I am simply instructed by the Lord to cast the bread on the water. It's an indiscriminate casting. It's a moment of release from God, hopefully, prayerfully, to whoever might hear. I also know that given the age in which we live, we are far beyond passing around a single, believe it or not, cassette tape or CD, but that the advent of what we have now in media, messages and sermons and words live and are sent throughout the whole known world. 
in your reading tonight, the parable of Jesus is often attributed, but this particular verse may not be deemed as such. Parables of the Lord are so rich and they're so full. His teachings were held at campfires and some on hillsides, some in the wilderness and even in the temple. His parables were mostly short stories to illustrate something of great value. In a more precise view, his parable featured a succulent didactic story. Um, used to illustrate a deeper message, some rich thing. It's like biting into the fruit. Jesus spoke of faith and the kingdom in his parables. Some depicted the heart of God, reconciliation, a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son, forgiveness, and so much more. But when Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 16, something changed. It's unusual. Unlike all the rest, Jesus offered a proper name in his teaching. He spoke of a man named Lazarus. I know that we might stumble on this name because it was the same name as the brother of Mary and Martha. But Jesus was not referring to his longtime friend from Bethany. Instead, This was a different man with a different story. The greater revelation here is that the Lord's introduction of a name removes this teaching from a list of parables. In fact, biblical scholars view Luke 16 as an actual occurrence and not a parable. Lazarus, to them, would be a real pauper. His poor condition was more than just a tale told to make a point. The rich man was not named, though we know that he was clothed in the most expensive garments and color that money could buy. It was purple and that of fine linen. Lazarus is cast in the shadows of extreme poverty. Jesus shows him lying at the gate full of sores, looking for something to eat. His only comfort was the dogs that came by. The rich man has passed by him on many occasions. He disregarded him. He had the means and the opportunity, but he never took the means or the opportunity to help the poor man, Lazarus. And so Lazarus sat there hoping for a remnant of food cast out from the rich man's table. If that image was not enough, Jesus added, and I quote, Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. This purple-clad rich man stood at the height of humanity. Lazarus sat in the dust. The next clue of this real story, reality, was that, in fact, Jesus was not offering an allegory or some teachable tale. Is that Jesus will pull back the curtain into the realm of the afterlife with another name. He called it Abraham's bosom, and it was seen as a resting place. Paul speaks of the dead in Christ as they are asleep, that they are at rest, waiting for the last sound of the last trumpet of God. But the rich man of Luke 16 is buried, and in the next moment he lifts up his eyes, 
being in hell. He is in torment. The heat of the flames overwhelm him. He cries, said Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So not only does the rich man feel the flames burning, he can also see beyond the fiery prison to which Lazarus rests, a place of comfort. But the Bible says that there was a great gulf fixed between them and no one could pass from one side to the other. At that moment, fate is sealed. Eternity is cast in stone. It is either saved or lost forever. Saved or lost forever. Jesus is painting the picture that hell is not only a place of physical torment, but it features, but that it features a one-way window looking beyond into a place of comfort and peace. And yet, there is a great gulf fixed, and no one traverses that gulf. Jesus described the suffering of the rich man. The pain is so severe. There is also a realization that it's too late for him. Time stands still, and the mental anguish begins. All the rich man has now is the memory of his family. His final prayer is that someone would go and tell his brothers. Once again, as to reinforce this real story, Jesus gives a specific number of brothers. Five brothers. I'll read it to you. For I have five brothers, the rich man said. Send them that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. All of the evidence is there that this is not a parable but this is a real occurrence and yet now there is no assurance of such personalized messaging watch now the exchange the lord will speak now abraham is going to speak and jesus is relaying this they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them and he said nay father abraham but if one went Unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Jesus is speaking prophetically. One will rise from the grave. One will get up from the dead. But that will not be enough. Because it doesn't matter how much Jesus has done for people. Some will not receive it. And it won't matter how many times people come to the church. People will not receive it. And it won't matter how many times they hear a sermon or a word or feel the Lord or sing the songs. One has already risen from the dead, but that will not be enough. You see, Jesus was prophetically speaking of himself. I will one day come up from the grave, but many, for many, they will not believe it. They will not receive it. So while the rich man though he had the ability to offer even the smallest of help, to have a little grace, a little mercy, a little love. He waited one day too late. A day earlier, and the story would have been altogether different. But the rich man could only view the peacefulness of Lazarus while he himself suffered on the other side. Here is your Bible, Matthew 25, 46. Jesus said, and these shall go away in everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. 
Speaking of the disobedient, Paul wrote, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So not only is there physical torment, but there is a separation between us and God, a great gulf fixed, and nobody No wishful thinking, no philosophy, no intellectualism, no comfort is ever going to bridge that gap. There is an eternity, and once it's cast, it's sealed forever. The man who lays on his hospital bed, and he curses God, and he's done deplorable things, and he is a vile man, but he shakes his fist at God the moment that he takes his last breath. A seal, an envelope is sealed, and he cannot go back and open it up, and he will rue the day. He will regret the day that he ever did that, because he will wake up that next day in hell. I've often wondered now about the open space. What about the open space? What about the open areas in Noah's ark? How many people could have, could have come into the ark? How many people would have been welcomed into that great boat? Noah preached over 100 years. In fact, 120 years he was preaching. He preached his entire lifetime, but no one came. He spoke of God's coming judgment, but it wasn't until God shut the door that his preaching stopped. There was one door on the ark. I'll read it, Genesis 7, 16. And they that went in, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord closed the door. But before that day, anyone could have entered into the ark. Any one of them passing by could have relented and followed Noah. The door was wide open. I often wonder if someone had walked by the day before, just kind of looked in one last time, wondering if it was all just a made-up story. I wonder if anyone who lived near Moses, Noah's massive boat, wondered if it was all for show, or if something might have happened, maybe someday. Either way, we know that only Noah and his family ate so were saved all the rest came at least one day too late the door was closed that brings me back to that old artist rendering I'll never forget that artist rendering I've spoken of it twice from this pulpit the man who painted the image of the flooding waters of the closed door of Noah's ark he painted people running for their lives holding their children on their shoulders reaching as high as they can to keep them from the flooding waters rain falling and the waters rising from beneath some clinging to the trees atop the mountain while others pounding on the side of the ark that they had seen so many times before but failed to get inside. Some of them, in every literal sense, grew up with the ark always in their view. They never knew a day when Noah's ark was not there. But when the day came, the final day, they did not make it. I wonder about the young people and the children. You've always grown up in the church. I wonder about all of you who have no memory of anything besides coming to the house of God. But I wonder, what will you do in the day after? You've been playing around a long time. You've been blowing off everything for a long time. You are of all ages. You're not really committed. You've come, you hear, you might even be listening to me live stream. Or maybe this is just some other time that you decided to push the button and hear the pastor preach a little bit. I got a word for you. The Lord is coming back. And when he comes back, there's nothing left to do. You can ill afford to be one day too late. Don't 
Don't be one day too late. Don't be one hour too late. You can't be one minute too late. You've got to do something today. But nobody thought about it. Everybody said it's just a crazy thing. Why would you build that big ark? Why would you put all those animals inside it? It's just nonsense. I don't understand. It's nonsense every day. Some people were born on the first day that Noah got the gopher wood. They've went through their young years and their childhood and their teen years. They got married and somewhere in the background, there is the picture of the ark of Noah. They, they walk by it every day. They knew what he was doing, but they they turned away. They said nothing. They always saw the ark. But when God closed the door, and the heavens broke open, and the streams erupted from beneath, and the waters gushed out like geysers, and they said, What? What is this that we're seeing? And when will it stop? It got ankle deep and they got worried because it flooded their little gardens and their fields. It got into their houses and started pouring down all day. And then where'd those other waters come from? From beneath, rocks split open like a river just pouring out. Somebody awakened and said, I remember what Noah was preaching. I remember what Noah was doing all those years. He said, a flood's coming. Get a few things, honey. Come on, let's get, let's get our kids packed. Maybe we can still make it. And now they're wading through knee-deep water. And they're looking over. And their things floating by them. And there's landslides and water gushing around and swirling. There's a pool of water on that side. It looks like a brand new lake on that side. And they're already seeing people pounding on the side of that ark. I saw it all the time. I was always there. I walked by that. But I came one day too late. You're going to come one day too late. Jesus has a dual nature. Sometimes if, if you're reading the scripture, you have, to, you have to read it with purpose and understanding. Sometimes he's speaking from his mother's side. When he says he's thirsty, he's not speaking from the eternal side. God doesn't get thirsty. When he was weak in his body, he, he was speaking from his his natural human side. When he said, I'm hungry, it was a real hunger, but on, his, on, on the spirit side, the eternal spirit, he is the bread of life. Kind of have to see what he's doing there. He quotes, it looks like to me from humanity, he quotes the eternal spirit. He talks about a hardworking person, a hardworking, successful man. He said, the man has built many things. And the man will say to himself, I've worked so hard. And 
Now I'm going to just take it easy. I've got everything that I'd ever want. The man was boasting of his accumulation of his things. He was patting himself on the back because he saw all of his personal achievements finally come to fruition. Luke 12, 20. But God said to him, thou fool. I've read the scripture, call no man a fool. But the Lord has reserved that right. Because the fool is the person who says there's no God. And the fool is the person who thinks that they have got everything together, but they're going to lose their eternal soul. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall all those things be which you have, you have used your whole life for? You have worked all this time for that stuff, but your eternal soul, now what are you going to say? He could have done something about it yesterday. He could have changed his course last week, but he came one day too late, and he died. And there are no rich men that die. People aren't rich when they die. Because you can't carry anything with you into the next life. There's nothing. Not your 401k. Not your boat. Not your truck. Not your property. Not your motorcycle. Not your gold. Not your silver. Not your money. Not your retirement, not your clothes, none of that's going to matter. I'm going to tell you right now, the moment that you come down with some kind of incurable thing, you won't care about any of that stuff. You'll be calling on the Lord. And if you ever, you ever hear the sound of the trumpet and you are, and you are raptured from this place, none of that stuff is ever going to matter. But if the Lord comes back and you're lost, I promise you, you won't wax your boat and wax your car one more time because it won't matter. The day before, that rich man could have rearranged his life, but he's so wrapped up in his stuff, he misses the day of his appointment. Because there is an appointment that you're going to keep whether you want to or not. It is an appointed unto man once to die. You will die. If the Lord tarries, you will die. Now, I personally believe that the rapture is soon to come. I'm going to talk about it in a moment. I personally believe that God is going to come back in our lifetime. But if the Lord doesn't come back in your lifetime, you have an appointment. And it doesn't matter how, much, how many vitamins you take, how, many, how much mineral oil you take, how, many, how much kale you eat. It won't matter how good you are. Your body is going to waste away. I'm not trying to discourage you from eating healthy. All I want you to know is that when your time comes, it may be a genetic thing and no physical fitness is going to save you. You might just have a little heart murmur that might turn into a heart attack and you can drop dead tomorrow. I'll tell you, it's not really dying. It's going to matter. It's going to be what you did before you died that really matters. Don't be one day too late. Miss your doctor's appointment if you need to. Miss all of your checkup appointments if you need to. Miss your appointments for work. Miss your appointments for a date. But don't miss your appointment for the rapture. You're watching me. And I'm burning And I'm flaming out. 
But I've known this. It doesn't matter what kind of presentation I put together. Some of you will always be unmoved and unchanged. You don't care what I say, but you will. You often measure the word of God by my presentation. But you're wrong. Don't measure it by me because I'm a fallible man. I don't need an amen. Because I'm trying to make it just like you. But I want to tell you what you've done wrong is you filtered out the precious word of God because you say, yeah, I know him. Really? So you would miss the rapture and miss the word and not receive what the word has to say because you got a familiar thing in you. And it's crushing your resolve. Instead of crying out to God and groveling and crawling on the floor to this altar and laying prostrate before the Lord, you'll sit there and watch me burn out. I went back to review some of the old time preaching. I promise you right now, almost 99% of the people would never last with the preachers that preached 50 years ago. Whoa! Go read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Oh, man. We got so comfortable. We got so lazy. We have no urgency. We think life is going to continue on and on and on. I got news for you. There's coming a day. There's coming a day. And you cannot be late for that day. Now, the Bible doesn't use the word rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible. But the word rapture simply means the catching away. So the concept is certainly there in multiple different places. So we've, con- we've concised the concept into a particular word rapture. And rapture has deep roots all through the scripture. And the rapture, ladies and gentlemen. I wish I, could, I, wish I didn't have to say this. The rapture is going to be easy for people to miss. When I was growing up, I thought, oh no, everybody's going to know. But I found out it's going to be easy. Yeah. Because we're in our routine. And no sooner than you lay your head down on, this, on your pillow tonight, you will have forgotten most of what I said. I want to tell you, man, woman, older man, younger man, younger woman, Ladies, young people, I want to tell you, God knows everything you're doing. He knows everything you're saying. And you're walking by the beautiful ark of safety, but you got familiar with it, and you're nonchalant. You see, the early church believed that he was coming back in their lifetime. I don't think that they ever thought a million years that Jesus would wait 2,000 years. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. He said in a moment, blink your eye. There it is. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible. Then we're going to be changed. Blink your eye. There's the rapture. It happened as fast as you can blink your eye. It will happen so fast, there's no time to change course. You won't be able to change course. That's why the most beautiful thing you have in your hand right now is this evening, is this time. This is Matthew 24. Jesus speaks. For as in the days that were before the flood, 
They were eating and they were drinking. They were marrying. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And then everything stopped. They didn't know even until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Two will be in the field, he wrote, and one will be taken. Ooh, the other is left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken, the other left. Watch, you don't know the hour that the Lord comes. Two in the field, two in the mill, two working. They are not separated by relationship. They're going to be separated by the rapture. Your brother, your spouse, your father, your mother, raptured. Two are together. That speaks of relationship. Chances are you know someone that will be left behind. And they'll be one day too late. I think of this moment here, the swiftness of it, and my obligation to it. I'll share that. But I wonder what it means to have been blessed to be in an apostolic Pentecostal church, knowing the true gospel and nature of Jesus Christ and then miss the rapture. Well, Peter wrote of it. He said, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, but they're entangled again, they're overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Listen to this. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn away from the holy commandment that was given to them. It had been better, but it's too late for all of you. It's too late for me. It's too late for all of us together. We know the right way. We know how to live. You're not ignorant. You know how to live. You know how to be separated from the world. Whether you want to is inconsequential. You know. You know the right way to live and the wrong way to live. You are without excuse. I'll tell you, you are without excuse for worship. You can't say, well, if they had more worship, I'd be okay. You've got worship leaders and music and powerful worship team that led us in worship. You have an altar. You have time for prayer. You have Bible study. You have Wednesday night Bible study. You have Sunday morning manna. You have Sunday morning church. You have a prayer room that's open 24 hours a day. Anytime you want to come in here, you can get into this room and you can fall on your face. You are without excuse. I don't know how you receive this. If you think, oh, this pastor's just being upset. He's kind of mean. I'm not upset. I'm not upset. I'm just giving you the word. Why don't you receive the word? Listen, we cannot be late. You cannot miss this. You got to get a hunger for this. You can ill afford to be one day, one minute, one second late.
I can't verify what I'm about to say. I'm just going to tell you how I feel. I think two things are going to happen right before the Lord comes back and right after. The first thing is there's going to be a mighty revival of people because they're going to see something. They're going to, their senses are going to be aware. They're going to say, I got to get back to God. But when the rapture comes, there will not be room in any of these buildings to hold the people. They'll bust down the windows. They'll kick in the doors. They'll run and fall and they'll cry. And they'll say, give me one more chance. They'll be holding up their children like those men standing at the ark, pounded, open the door, let me in. And banished from their thought will be every criticism that they used to hold. Because all of your criticisms, negativities, and all the things you don't like about what's going on, it won't matter that day. On that day, it won't matter. You know what you're going to say? Just bring back all the stuff. It's, it's okay. Just bring it all back. Just, just, just restore it all. I, I'll get along. I'll, I'll love everybody. You'll cry out and say, it don't matter. I don't care if they sing a song. I don't really like it. I don't care if they don't open the doors for me. I don't care if I'm the only one in the church and no one shakes my hand. I, I just got to make the rapture. Well, come and bring it all back. You don't know what they're going to say. The problem is here that we do know the right way to live. We know the truth. The question is, what are you going to do with it? I don't really know who I'm preaching to. I have no specific audience except for the whole body and anyone who hears the word. I just want you to know you can change your life today. I've long since left the idea that some of you are okay and some of you are not. I'm going to tell you, we're all in trouble. We're all in trouble. You all better get ready. Everybody's got to get ready. We're going to be in. Hey, listen, there is, there is a fight coming for your life. You better stand up and take on the whole armor of God. You better be praying every day. You better be calling out in Jesus' name every day. You better be, you better be fasting. You better be reading your scripture and your Bible. Do not think that you've got it in the bag and you've made it all the way. You've not made it. I don't want to hear anybody say, well, that's old news to me. Hear me. When the Lord comes back, you've got to be in the rapture. But you're watching me now. And you could change. But you think you've got tomorrow. Because somehow you think that tomorrow is guaranteed. But another day will pass. And then another and then another. You may be in the room tonight. I hope not. You may be listening to me in some other place or on some other night. I hope this is not you. But when the final trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise and the rest of people are raptured and you're left behind, you won't be able to have a redo and there'll be a great gulf fixed between you and them. You could have made it, but you were late. Jesus is going to say it. All these virgins getting ready to be married to the bridegroom, and they all have the same lanterns and oil, and, but five were foolish and five were wise because when the bridegroom came to call, Five were unprepared. They all started the same way. But five, they didn't care for their oil, the Holy Ghost.
They didn't care for the thing that gave light. The other did. The others said, let's make sure we're ready. And when the bridegroom came, half of them didn't make it. This is my position, and it's not by want or desire. I'll read it in a couple different versions. This is the New King James Version of Ezekiel 33 and 6. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and he doesn't blow the trumpet, the people are not warned. And the sword comes and takes any person among them. He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Here's another version. But if the watchman sees the sword coming, and I see it, and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people. He doesn't say, the sword's coming. And your life is taken because you fooled around with your salvation. You played the game. But if the watchman doesn't speak and one of them is taken, I'm going to hold the watchman accountable. So not by want and not by desire, but by calling. I've got to tell you, you cannot go to hell from this house. It would be a shame, the greatest shame, that you would end up in hell, but have sat through this evening. That you would have it in your hand, so easy and free. You don't have to be here. You can lay down in one of those seats and pews and cry out to God. The reason why you don't is because you don't think that I'm talking to you. You think I'm talking to somebody else. Scotty and I, um, we raised money for, uh, at the time, I think it was like a mission Some kind of fundraiser. We we won the fundraiser and we got a radio. And we loved listening to the radio. And I remember the radio being in our room and we'd try all the channels. Now, I was born in late 67. But I really enjoyed um, songs on the radio in the mid-70s. Most of those songs were disco songs, mid to late 70s. But every once in a while, they'd play a song from the Beatles. I'd never seen a picture of the Beatles. We didn't have television, never grew up with any of those images, but we did have a radio, and I'm certain that Mom would not have wanted us to listen to those radio stations, but we huddled around it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I can name a lot of artists. Somewhere in the 70s, though, I remember listening to the song Imagine. And I was so upset. I was so angry about it. I turned off the radio. 
because I didn't believe in that. I could not articulate why. I wasn't sure why. But the first four lines rang in my head. I can't remember what year it was. But now all these years later, it's still there. John Lennon released that song in 1971. I don't know when he wrote it. But now new artists have been recording it because it has a melodic sound. It's been recorded and resung many, many times. All of the auditions and shows and singing competitions, the royalties of it have been ignited in the last eight or nine years. It's amazing. Because when you write a song through ASCAP or another royalty agency, they'll track that. And imagine has been reimagined. People are embracing it because it's a song about globalism, without country, without patriotism. It's a facade. The song is a lie, and it comes from the pit of hell. When John Lennon wrote it, he had already proclaimed that the Beatles would be more popular than Jesus Christ. He denounced Jesus in every form that he could and spurred upon more sexual revolution, not just in the United States, but more so in Europe and in England. He wrote the song, and it's had some resurgence. He wrote, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. I don't know where he's at today. I'll let God be his judge. But I want you to know, you need to imagine something completely different. There is a heaven, and there is a hell. I don't care how cool the melodic sound is, there is a heaven, and there is a hell. And you're going to one of those places. And when you go, you're not going to be able to go back and forth from one to another. There's a great gulf fixed. I wonder, is that how the church is today? That we don't believe there is a heaven and there is no hell? Or maybe there's only a heaven? One of my favorite Pentecostal uh, recording artists and singers, Carlton Pearson, which I used to love to hear. He, he sang so many wonderful songs and throwback songs and all kinds of songs. And in fact, the songs of Azusa that he, that he recorded, and, and we all love those. About 20 years ago, uh, Pearson came out and said, I just want to restate my position. There is no hell. I don't know where he got that information from, and I hope he changes his mind. But I want to stand here and tell you, there is a hell. It's a lake of fire. It's a place of torment. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you cannot be late. You cannot miss the rapture. You cannot go to hell. Whatever you have to do, you've got to give it up. I don't care if things you like, give it up. If it keeps you from heaven, give it up. I hope you can hear your pastor preach tonight with my whole heart. I feel like the watchman on a wall and I got to tell somebody, Jesus is coming. Please stop making excuses to appease yourself. Stop fighting with your leaders and your elders and your teachers over what you think is okay. 
wouldn't do that to your children. You wouldn't say, hey, listen, now, come on, honey. We're going to walk down Highway 70, and I want you to get just as close to that line as you can. That car is supposed to stay on that side, and you're okay over here. No, you get them completely off the interstate because you would not want your children walking so close to danger. But you will tell me in many different ways, well, you're just too strict. Well, that's just nonsense. Well, that's unnecessary yokes. Well, you don't have to do all that to get to heaven. Are you so sure? Are you so sure? And that's what you're going to do? You're going to put yourself in harm's way just so you can appease your flesh? I rise up to say to say, nothing is worse. Missing the rapture. Do whatever you can to live a holy life, pure and undefiled before God. Because if you miss it, your blood's not going to be on my hands. Now, I'm going to have to answer to God for a whole bunch of other stuff, but I'm not answering to God for not preaching you the truth. I got some things I got to work out in my own spirit with the Lord. But one of those things I'm not going to work out is whether or not I told you the rapture is coming. There's only one name. you got to live apart from the world. You've got to be baptized in the only saving name according to the scripture. And you got to live with the Holy Ghost. And you have to speak with other tongues as the Spirit give the utterance. And you have to be open with your hands and free with your worship and give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. If you miss the rapture, it won't be because you never heard it. If you miss it, and you miss it from here, you've got no excuse. It would be better. I didn't even read to you the next verse. The next verse says, just as the proverb said, it's like a dog returning to its own vomit, or a sow being freshly washed, going back into the mire. What? After you've been here all this time? In fact, after you'd been here just this one night, yeah. And what was your excuse? What was that lame excuse? It wasn't comfortable for you. But please help me. I don't know who was here on Wednesday night, who wasn't. I'll just repeat it. Last week when I preached the camp meeting in Nova Scotia, the tabernacle didn't have windows, maybe one, but they also didn't have air conditioner. And everybody came dressed in their church-going clothes. No one told me. I just put my nice suits in the bag and my nice tie in the bag and my nice shirts in the bag. Went there and dressed up. Thought, hey, this is going to be good. No. There wasn't a lick of concrete, asphalt anywhere, just mud and a little bit of sprinkling of rocks to park your car. I got in that... And that night, they said, Brother Harpel's going to come and preach. Now, you know, I'm not going to get up and just try to maintain my temperature. By the time I was done, sweat was running down my leg and and puddling up in my shoes. I don't know. I might have ruined all my clothes. I didn't care. But I want to tell you, they were so hungry for God, they did not care if the air conditioner was there or not there or who cared. They had no carpet. But we got everything. You've got everything. We've got everything. That makes me think maybe we're a little too spoiled because we want
want someone else to do the work. I say get in. Work for the Lord. Love it. Embrace it. Be consumed by it. I feel like turning off the air conditioners for the month of August. Don't worry. I haven't lost my mind. But if they go out, someone sabotages them. Don't leave the church. You can take your tie off. It's okay. You can shed your jacket. But why don't you worship the Lord no matter what? Why don't you praise God no matter what? What are you waiting for? What do you think this is? This is not a show. You ought to get up and say, thank God. I've come here to praise him. I've come here to make his name known. I've come here to learn. I've come here to shout. I've come here to bow. I've come here to pray. I've come here to give. out of your mouth you ought to exercise the Holy Ghost out of your mouth you ought to be praising praying in the Holy Ghost you got the opportunity nobody's stopping you from crying out to God you ought to just ask God Lord help me not to be lost I cannot be late I cannot be late I cannot miss it I won't miss it I'm going to do everything not to miss it (laughs) 